invite you to join me in Romans 13, if you're not there already. Romans chapter 13. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we rejoice in the reality of who we are in Christ. We rejoice even as we have just proclaimed that we are your church. We are your people. And yet we live in a world that is so opposed. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the strength to go forth, to joyfully proclaim the good news of the gospel, to live even in a hostile world, to live lives that give off the fragrance of the gospel. And even here in Altoona, Iowa, that we as Altoona Regular Baptist Church would reach people of Altoona for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would realize that we are first and foremost who we are in Christ. We are most importantly your church, and that you would be honored in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening we're continuing our series, One Another, our theme for the year, and we started In January, in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everything that we've said since then in this series builds off of that idea there in those first two verses. That we who are in Christ, that we would recognize, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our reasonable service. We've seen then what that looks like. In February, we looked at uh, Romans 12, verses 3 to 1 to 2, 3, sorry, 12, 3 to 8. After submitting to God fully, we must view ourselves biblically. We must be humble, have a right biblical view of ourselves. We went on the next month, Romans 12, 9 to 18. Strive to love others. Strive. Don't just try, but let love be without hypocrisy. Give preference to one another. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We went on to see in 12, 19 to 21. Love your enemies. Submit to God fully. View yourself biblically. Strive to love others and love your enemies. As we come to Romans 13, verses 1 to 7, Paul here kind of shifts his focus. And yet it still goes back to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Everything that we see here in these seven verses goes back to who we are in Christ and what we must do. 
Romans 13, 1-7 is dependent on presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And as we work our way through this, as we see the call to be subject, we'll see the sovereignty of God, the role of government, and the responsibility that we have as citizens. First thing you see in the first two verses is God's sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. Paul starts actually in verse 1 with a shocking statement. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's a shocking statement. Paul is writing this book from Corinth around 50, AD 56. The emperor at this time is Nero. He's just a few years into his reign. And a few years from now, in AD 64, is when Rome will burn. That's when a great persecution will begin. Paul's writing to Christians in the capital of, of the empire, Rome itself. And he says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. What is so shocking about that statement is the strong language that Paul uses and the lack of qualifiers. He doesn't say, let every soul be respectful of those who are in charge. He doesn't say, let every soul be obliging. Let every soul be courteous. He says, let every soul be subject. That's a strong word. It means to submit, to recognize and embrace your role in the hierarchy that God has himself has established. And notice also there's no qualifiers. That's perhaps what is most shocking about that statement. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And he just leaves it there. He doesn't say to the governing authorities when they honor God. He doesn't say to the governing authorities when they're pro-democracy. It's every soul. It's a universe, it's, it's applicable universally. Every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That verse is just as applicable to someone in communist China as it is to someone in Altoona, Iowa. It's just as applicable to someone under communism, someone under a dictatorship, someone in democracy, someone under a monarchy. He doesn't say anything about what type of government. He just says be subject. That's a shocking statement. It's a statement that grabs our attention. Hold on, Paul. How can that be true? There has to be some qualifiers in there. He doesn't put any. Paul here is talking in black and white terms. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Why? 
Why? That is a shocking statement. Why is that true? Why should we do that? How can we do that? That's what he goes on to say. Because God is sovereign. Because government has a responsibility. Because you have a responsibility. And the first thing we see, the first place that he goes is to the sovereignty of God. Why should I be subject to the governing authorities? Look what he says. For there is no authority except from God, and and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That statement pretty much covers the entire spectrum. There's no authority anywhere in the world except by God. And the authorities that do exist, all of them are appointed by God. From Nero to Constantine, Genghis Khan to Napoleon, Hitler to Reagan, Mao to Trump, President Biden today, all of them are appointed by God. They're appointed by God. God is not passive in this. God is not passive in the affairs of men. He is actively involved in the affairs of man. It doesn't say all of those in authority are allowed by God. Again, it's a very strong word. They are appointed. They are picked out by God and put there. It's the same truth we see in Daniel. It's the same truth we've seen the last several weeks as we've been in Daniel. In Daniels 4 through 5. What is the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to learn? It is that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. That verse takes on a whole different meaning when we're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar thousands of years ago. We're talking about us right now, doesn't it? It was easy last week to say amen to that. It's a lot harder this week. Because Paul here takes that truth of Daniels 4 and 5 and he applies it to you and to me. Therefore, verse 2 is the logical next step from verse 1. If that is true, and it is, that God is sovereign over, uh, over authority, over government, if they are appointed by God, then whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So logically following the realization of God's sovereignty over government, it follows then that to resist government is to resist God. It's to resist what God has ordained. In fact, there's a promise for judgment for those who resist. To resist the government is to resist God himself because he appointed that government. That punishment, that judgment, is not necessarily punishment from God. That's what we see unfolded in the next section, verses 3 to 4. It is punishment from the government because that is the government's role it says this for rulers 
are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Human government is instituted by God to reward, to reward good and to restrain evil. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. MacArthur notes this, he says, even the most wicked, godless governments in history act as a deterrent to crime. That's their role. The role of human government instituted by God is to reward God, to reward good and restrain evil. So logically, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? What should you do? You do what is good, and you'll have the praise from the same. And here's a remarkable statement in verse 4, for he is God's minister to you for good. Government is God's gift to you. Think about who Paul is saying that to. He is saying that to believers who, even as he's written, writing this, even though the great persecution has not yet begun, they have likely already lost more because of their faith than you and I ever will. And in fact, in just a few years, as I mentioned, they will come under intense persecution as Rome burns. And Paul tells them, that those in authority, that those who govern are God's minister to you for good. It is God's gift to you. In fact, he doesn't just say that once. He repeats it. Just a few words later, he says, for he is God's minister. Down in, in verse 6, for they are God's ministers. Those in authority, those put by God in government, are God's ministers to you and to me. We don't often think of them in those terms, do we? But they are. And they are for your good. Therefore, do what is good. But, if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Government has the God-given right to use force. To reward good and to, and to restrain evil. They have that right. And they do not use it in vain. He then here again repeats it. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We've seen the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign in government. Secondly, we see the role of government to promote and reward good and to punish wickedness. Finally, verses 5 to 7, we see personal responsibility. What is the responsibility of citizens, of those who are under authority? Therefore, Based on this fact, based on God's sovereignty, based on government's role, therefore, you must be subject. You must be subject. 
You must submit. You must recognize and embrace your role in the hierarchy that has been established by God. Not only because of wrath, that is a reason to be subject. Because of wrath, that, 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 that's a fear, a fear out of repercussion. The government's role should cause fear for me to do wrong. I don't want to do wrong because I don't want to fix the consequences. There's a fear there that causes me to obey, but also because of conscience. Because of what Paul has just told us. As a Christian, that should bother your conscience. If government is God-ordained, and if they are placed in position by a sovereign God, then to go against that is to go against God. And that should bother your conscience. Anytime you're going against God, it should bother your conscience as a Christian. So do it because, you're, because of wrath, because of the role that they have of enforcing, of promoting good and, 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 and going against evil, but also because it's the right thing to do. For because of this, you also pay taxes because of their God-given right. Again, for they are God's ministers. That is what Paul really wants you to get in this. That the government that God has placed over you, regardless of where you are, whether you're in communist China, whether you're under a dictator, whether you're here in the United States, regardless of where you are, the government that is over you is placed there by God. They are God's ministers. And they attend continually to their God-given duties. Render, therefore, to all their due. What does this look like for me? What does it look like to be subject? To recognize and embrace my role in the hierarchy that has been established by God. What does that look like? It looks like rendering to all their due. Paying taxes. Customs to whom customs. Paying fines. Obeying laws. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, showing honor. Pay your taxes, pay your fines, show honor and obey. You may say, but, there's a big but. Paul is very plainly here speaking in black and white idealistic terms. What about reality? What about if government fails? What if they're not doing their God-given right? It says that they should be a hindrance to evil. They should promote good. What if the government is not doing that? Then what do I do? To that question, I would answer this way. Government's failure does not negate God's sovereignty. If government fails, does that mean that God's not sovereign? No, God is sovereign. Did God put them there? Yes. Therefore, submit. Government failure does not negate God's sovereignty. Therefore, it does not negate my responsibility. Even if they fail, I must submit. There is an exception. It can be found in Acts 5, 27 to 29, as the apostles are told to stop preaching the gospel. And how do they respond? We ought to obey God rather than man. 
So when the government comes to you and tells you, stop preaching the gospel, that's when you can disobey. Or, like Daniel 3, when the government threatens to throw you in a fiery furnace unless you bow to worship, then you can disobey. When the government threatens to throw you in a den of lions, if you stop praying, then you can disobey. But we ought to obey God rather than men. And part of obeying God is submitting to government. Unless, very clearly, government tells us to go contrary to scripture. Don't go looking for opportunities. Have a disposition of submission to government. Because God is sovereign. And he has put them there. Submission to government is not foolishly or blindly trusting men. It is wisely trusting God. It is recognizing his sovereignty and submitting to it. So if you're going to suffer at the hands of the government, let it be for the sake of the gospel. Not because you're a lawbreaker. Let it be for the sake of the gospel. Government has a responsibility. And I have a responsibility. And we are both responsible to God. And their failure does not negate my responsibility to be faithful to what God has told me to do. So in conclusion, the big idea, citizens of heaven must strive to be good citizens on earth. We recognize that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. That that is where our loyalty lies. And yet, our king in heaven has told us to submit to the government that he himself has placed over us. And so submission to earthly government is really submission to our king in heaven. Citizens of heaven must strive to be good citizens on earth. So what does that look like? What can we do? Three points. Number one, pray. Pray specifically for those in authority. That's what Paul tells us to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray specifically for those in authority. Because God desires that all men would be saved. So pray. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those that God has put above you. In government. Pray for the president. Pray for the vice president. Even if you don't agree politically with them, pray for them. Because they are put there by God. Pray for the governor. Pray for the mayor. Pray for your senators. Pray for those who are in authority. Number two, participate. Praise the Lord that we are not in communist China. Praise the Lord that we are not in somewhere like that under a dictator, but that we are in a country where we have the opportunity to participate in the government. Take your calling to participate, the freedom that you have, take it seriously. Be politically wise and be politically active. Vote as you have opportunity. Stand up for what is right. Promote justice. And yet, number three, submit. When you've done what you can, when you've cast your vote, when you've lobbied or whatever else that the, the country allows you to do, recognize God's sovereignty. Recognize and embrace your biblical role and submit under the God-given authority 
that he has placed over you. It's not an easy passage. If you want my resignation, I'll <laughs> but it's a biblical passage. That's what Paul, in the authority and direction of the Holy Spirit, has said. And he has said it very plainly. So we must listen, even when we don't want to. And we must submit. And we can rejoice in the reality that our God is sovereign. That he's in complete control. Even when things seem completely out of control, our God is in control. So we can submit, and in doing that, we can rejoice. We're going to close by singing the song once again, We Are Your Church.